0: Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This
1: is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne.
0: We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to go. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I mean, obviously we're we're trying to have a little fun here on satellite sisters today and in our lives too. But you know if you're a regular listener, that um, as we've said, we had a really rocky 2012. You know that we lost our mother at the end of November. Um, She got very sick very quickly and died very quickly. And then since the last show, Monica, you and I recorded a show several Saturdays ago And where we just had a lot of fun, right? Yeah. And we were, but it was on, it was then on that Monday morning, Julie, that you called me at three o'clock in the morning to say that our father, um, was clearly dying. And he did, in fact, die that Monday, um, with you and your husband and your son there, right?
2: Yes, he did. And, you know, I know you came that afternoon along with Leanne, um, And, um, you know, it's hard to put it in words, but I, you know, I now having witnessed both our our mother's death and our father's death. Um, first of all, I am, I have to say I'm strengthened, strengthened in my faith because, because both my, both mom and dad died with family around them. They died Hearing people say, "You know, we love you, you know, we want you to be in peace. They died with you know the full grace and blessing of their church of what and of their God, and you know and in many ways, it was very life affirming because while they both suffered mom with a with a short but very very difficult illness, and Dad with Alzheimer's, which is a long, slow goodbye, as people say. You know, they both suffered so much, but in their deaths, they were actually very peaceful. And uh, Monica, you were there when mom died. You know that it was a very moving event to be present at something like that. It is part of life. And um, I know that uh, I'm very grateful to the hospice workers that worked with us with mom and the hospice workers that helped with dad, because otherwise I can imagine it can be an incredibly confusing and bewildering. And you're just so overwhelmed with grief at at what is happening that, you know, to have the calm, certain voices of the hospice nurse, you know, telling you, you know, that this is how it's going to be and what's going to happen. And the words they used, Liz, when I called you that morning at three in the morning, they said, your father is already in transition and that's you know they're very grace the hospice workers very graceful way of saying that you know dad was dying and that he was transitioning from this world to another world and um and they really helped us with that process and you know for dad he died in a nursing home and i know that can sound so sad but it wasn't sad and it wasn't a sad place and liz and monica you and
0: Right. It was not a sad place. I mean, it was, we were very lucky that you found him such a lovely place, so close to where you are. It was because of his Alzheimer's, he really did need 24-hour care that we could not provide in any of our homes. Um, and, uh, but he obviously felt very comfortable there. And the fact that you could come and go several times a day as you did, and all of us, all of us visited him there and spent time with him there. He'd only been there since October, but he definitely seemed very um, comfortable living there.
2: Yeah, and it was so nice, you know, this week just as – you know, as a witness of the kind of care that he got, I received a beautiful card from the nursing home signed by over twenty mm-hmm. nurses' aides and nurses and technicians, all offering their personal notes of condolence to to dad and talking about what a you know, the you know, the impression that dad made on them and that the, he was going to be greatly missed. And I thought, you know, that you know, that was just like so many of the condolences we've received from so many people that just really touched me to think that, you know, in the last days of his life, that people that had been strangers to him, you know, were very caring and that in some way he had touched them and that that was important. So all of these things that just, you know, it does, you know, it, it, makes you sort of think about your own life and how to live the best life you can and and how to, um, how to help others that are going through this very, you know, the difficult period of grief. Huh?
0: You know, another thing I would say about the the hospice care and the hospice people that we dealt with, both here in Santa Monica, caring for mom, and in Dallas, caring for dad, is that It's just that they have a perspective about things that is different than the purely medical perspective. So, you know, we were getting a lot of that all the way along. Um, when mom was first diagnosed with cancer, and obviously we had a lot of that over multiple years with dad's Alzheimer's, but there's just another level that you have to think about when someone is really reaching the end of their life. And to have people that are experienced in talking about that and recognizing that and making that a peaceful transition for everyone. For instance, the thing that made a huge difference to us, Julie, as you know, is that originally when mom died, when mom was dying and then when she actually died, the medical advice had been that we should not tell dad that that was happening because he would find it too upsetting and impossible to understand. And it would just be too confusing for someone in the late stages of Alzheimer's that dad was in. But then once you talk to the hospice people and they got a chance to meet dad and examine him and they could see that he too was very near the end of his life. They told us that in the middle of December, right? Yes. They were the ones that kind of overruled the medical people and said, if you don't explain this to him, he will not be free to go. He, he will not have the peace of knowing that he is going to his wife, that he will see her again, that she had all these things about feeling like she has gone before him would be helpful to him in having a peaceful death. And that just completely changed our mind about the whole situation, didn't it? And it was clearly the right thing to do. Absolutely. I
2: mean, it was, you know, it was the very first thing that the hospice worker in Dallas had said. She said, you must tell your father that this, you know, this is his wife of 62 years. This is unresolved. He can't die in peace without knowing this. So as incredibly difficult as it was to tell dad in a moment when he was lucid that mom had died and to see dad sob and sob uh, at the loss of his wife, um, it still, it still gave him the peace to die in peace. And, and he, we also know, and I, from all accounts that Dad, mom came to dad, dad talked about that in the last days of his life. And maybe it was because of the all, you know, the Alzheimer's that when he talked about it, it, it was so startling because most of what he said, you couldn't understand. But he made statements like my brother and my wife are together and his brother died 10 years ago. And so that he but he said that very clearly. And then other days he would turn to me. Again, where most of the time we could not understand what he was saying, he would turn to me as clear as day and say, your mother called last night.
0: <laughs> Which actually makes me laugh. You know? <laughs>
1: don't you think that's funny, Monica? It, it is. I wonder what those conversations were like. But,
2: and and that I know in the last weekend, he was reaching out to his mother. He, I heard him talk about his classmates and I know he was referring to, you know, some of his best friends from college, his college classmates, that they were there waiting for him as well. And I, you know, I believe that helped him die. So it was somewhat sudden, but very peacefully. And that um, that that was great advice. You're right, Liz.
0: Right. It's one of the big insights that, you know, that I really took away and I would pass along. I think people have a fear of that when you get hospice organizations involved, it's like admitting that, okay, there's nothing more we can do. Like admitting the end is here and that it's kind of a, it's a very sad, like futile act almost. Like, okay, that's it. We can't save you. But in our experience, in both of these experiences very close together, you know, within weeks of each other. We were dealing with two separate hospice organizations, dealing with two parents dying in very different ways. In both cases, they really helped us understand um, death as sort of that, as part of the just, I don't know, the living and dying process was so much more mysterious and, like, deep than I ever gave it credit for. So for people who are afraid of talking to hospice people because they don't want to look like they're giving up hope, I would just say it's like the the most hopeful thing you can do at that stage if you're caring for someone um, uh, who is that sick is to get people with that perspective involved. Monica, I don't know if... Yeah, and I
1: I would say the earlier the better, Um, you know, because they they just... They really helped us, and even after both of our parents died, both of those hospice organizations offered uh, bereavement counseling to us, Um, but I know a lot of people, most of my friends who parents have died, their one wish is that they had gotten them into hospice sooner. So, I would say the earlier, the better, because then you can really get the benefits of The counseling and just the way they direct the medical care, it just has a different focus than, you know, bringing your parent to the hospital every time they have a complication. They know how to deal with all those complications at home, you know, and they can help you. So I would say the earlier the better on hospice care.
0: You know, the, the hospice organization in Santa Monica that helped take care of mom is called Skirball Hospice, and I'm on their mailing list. I don't know if you guys still get the mail from them, but the just yesterday I got their February grief counseling newsletter, which is, which is called Good Grief, by the way. well (laughs) which is is fine like I was happy to get it and it's helpful and you know because this is uh Skirball happens to be a faith-based organization so much of this is actually written by a rabbi and he always puts his name and his phone number at the bottom and like please call me if there's anything
1: and they mean it there
0: they totally mean it They totally mean it. uh, One of the tips for some ideas to help you feel less alone and hopefully not as sad during this month of February. There were several of them that I'm really, you know, not up for, like helping someone. Sorry. No, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not ready to do that yet. But, the, uh, but they did. They did. Pamper yourself was on the list. So that I could sign up for.
2: How about souffles and shopping? Was that? Well, on?
0: It says do something you've always wanted to do, but have never done. Do you want to test drive a sports car, try a new exercise class, go whitewater rafting? That's a good, good idea. That is a good idea. So uh, I would put soufflés in that category, a day of soufflés and shopping. You've never done that.
2: (laughs) No, I really haven't. Uh,
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, here we are. It's the, the end of February. But since, you know, really since last spring, as a family, we've been just like as stretched out as we possibly could be emotionally, you know, where you just feel like it's such a change for me to, you know, to not feel like at any moment the phone could ring and it's going to be the next crisis. You know, I know you all relate to that. Like, it's been a long time since we could actually just like walk away from the phones and not think that we're going to miss some right urgent.
1: Or, or we're not going to get it. A- Just some terrible email from one of us with terrible news, because that just breaks your heart. Right, right. That's really hard. And you're at work and you get these really sad emails about some crisis with your parents. And it's just hard to get through the rest of the day.
0: Right, so whew, we have a big week ahead of us we got oscars we got all kinds of things going on um anything else anyone needs to cover enchiladas
1: we got enchiladas,
0: oh, we, got enchiladas.
2: enchiladas. <laughs> we got leanne stuck in kansas city so uh just say a prayer for her and liz you just uh just maybe mark your clothing or something as you're taking this big trip and uh um, stay warm <laughs>
0: Oh, I know. Uh, well, it's, you know, when you go, go over and back that fast, you just don't even have time to realize what climate you're in, which is why you forget you need a coat. But uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I will be in touch. So, so there you have it. We're the Satellite Sisters. We're back. It's been, you know, uh, for obvious reasons, we haven't always gotten to... Recording a show as frequently as we would like, but it's not because we're not, you know, we don't, we, of course, we love doing this and we love getting all your messages. You've been so nice on Facebook and the people that have taken the time to send real cards to the Satellite Sisters. Um, it's been, don't you think it's, I, I find it much more meaningful than you would ever really think just to, yeah, I, it's, to read is, through it's the postings on Facebook mm-hmm. and done
2: Janet- it. Multiple times. So, uh, you know, they really, they are just your kind thoughts and prayers. They just keep on giving us uh, support and lifting us up. And thank you so much for that.
0: And it reminded me, Julie, that, you know, because we've been talking about our family in various ways for, you know, more than 10 years that we've been doing Satellite Sisters, regular listeners know quite a bit about mom and dad. So there were, there were messages coming back with references to specific things and stories that I had totally forgotten that we ever told on the air. So I think it was really nice to know that when you wrote to us, it wasn't, it wasn't just because you care about us and listen to us, which is, of course, very nice, but that you felt like you had a sense of connection to Edna and to Jim and uh, that that was something that we had created over the years. Going back to the first thing that either mom or dad ever did on Satellite Sisters for Satellite Sisters. Do you remember that the original show for the first several months, how we had dad do the credits at the end?
2: <laughs> yes. It was really it really was not good. That's all I can it's
1: say. It's just <laughs> overly <laughs> dramatic. No we just un- good. I had to keep telling him to just do take take it down and watch Dad. Yes. He thought he was doing was Shakespeare, <laughs> but it was just the credits.
0: <laughs> Right. You think it's your dad, and all of a sudden you're getting Sir John Gilgood, And so, you know, and each week the credits were getting longer and longer. So it was supposed to be like a 20-second tag at the end of the show. This is when our show was still on public radio. The 20-second tag was becoming like two minutes of Shakespearean oratory. (laughs) Finally, we had to fire Dad. Anyway, I should dig up that audio, and we, we will we will share that with you on another time. All right, sisters, have a good week. Good luck, okay. everyone. Good luck, Liz. Okay, and call your satellite system.